Welcome to episode 33 of the Inner Work Conversation, a podcast I've created for leaders like you. This podcast is dedicated to making sure you feel empowered and reassured that you are totally not alone, because let's face it, leadership loneliness is a thing. I'm Nikki Cross, owner of Thrive Life and Business, and in today's episode, I'm talking about self-doubt when it comes to you and your goals. For context, we've just set up our goals for quarter three inside Thrive Together, my membership for leaders, and right now, I imagine most of my members are feeling pangs of self-doubt, fear, and uncertainty. And believe it or not, this is a good thing. It's good because it means you're stretching yourself beyond what you first thought was possible for you. But that said, it's also vital that we don't let self-doubt hold us back on the pursuit of our meaningful goals. Cue episode 33. (laughs) Before I dive in, I wanna thank you so much for all of the reviews over on iTunes, all of the mentions over on Instagram, and also for all of the recommendations that aren't visible, like when you share this podcast with your friends or with your colleagues, it really, really helps land these episodes in the ears of someone who might really benefit for it. So for that, I really am grateful. Without further ado, let's dive straight in. Really excited to record this episode because this week inside Thrive Together, we ran the quarter three goal setting workshop. And inside of this workshop, one of the things that we do is rebel against the SMART method. Now, I know I mentioned this in the last episode and even in the previous ones too, but just one more time for the people at the back. (laughs) When we set goals, it is so easy to set them from your worldview as it is now with the beliefs of what you hold to be true about yourself now. And this can be so self-limiting because quite often what we believe to be true about ourselves actually isn't. It's not... and None of this is really usually conscious. It's normally completely subconscious until you bring it into your consciousness. More of that in a little while. It's normally more so the case that we've got a limited view of what we think we're capable of, what amount of success or abundance we should be living with. Gay Hendricks would call this the upper limit problem in his amazing book, The Big Leap. I'll link it below. And therefore, if we set our goals from this place, it's just going to back up those limiting beliefs. It's just going to give evidence that actually those beliefs that we were holding to be true are probably right and they're not. In other words, if we use the R from the SMART method and we make our goals realistic, we will only ever make tiny incremental changes. Now, what I will say about the SMART method is it works great if you want your ego to be settled. It works great for your ego. And if you're anything like the rest of us, your ego will do anything to make you not fail. (laughs) Um, But sadly, what this doesn't do very much for is your personal success or your growth. And the thing with setting unrealistic goals is you get to experience both of those things. I'm recording this episode today because if you've listened to my episodes and you have set an unrealistic goal, or maybe you're a member of Thrive Together and you've just done your goal setting with me, then what usually happens, in, in fact, what should be happening right now, what normally happens is you start to feel pangs of self-doubt creep in. And that is exactly what I want to talk to you about today. Setting an unrealistic goal by its very nature will take you outside of your comfort zone and will usually immediately after you set a goal, self-doubt will start to shout louder and louder. 
all of your limiting beliefs will come to the surface to challenge you. And this is absolutely a vital part of the process, absolutely not to be ignored. What our normal tendency, what we feel like we should be doing is pushing those feelings down. You know, they're the types of feelings that we wanna try and avoid, but these feelings are serving a purpose. That's the thing. When we set a stretching goal or an unrealistic goal, something that we don't, something that takes us outside of our comfort zone right now, self-doubt is inevitable. It's going to come up. And if we ignore it, you'll normally find that it'll play out in your actions. And that's why a lot of people will set goals, but then find that they'll really, really struggle to follow through. Our self-doubt, it's simply a defense mechanism. It's there to keep you safe in inverted commas. But if we ignore it and don't actually do the work to work through it, what happens is we normally seek out evidence of that self-doubt being true, which is why sometimes you find yourself going round in circles, round in circles. And it's why a lot of the clients, when they come to me on a one-to-one basis, they, they come to me and there's this sense of them being fed up of their own shit, being fed up of always winding up back in the same space, back in the same space, because they've been around that loop a few times now (laughs) and they want some help getting out of it. And I know you might be thinking at this point, it doesn't make sense. I want my goals. And you may well do, like I said, in a recent post that I put on Instagram just this past week, there is a false benefit to your self-doubt. And I know that it's counterintuitive to think this way, like, but my self-doubt is holding me back. Yes, it may well be, but the false benefit is that by playing into the what-ifs, by entertaining the self-doubt, by giving it airtime, what normally happens is we get to feel safe. And feeling safe as a human is all we want. Because while we're pouring our energy into self-doubt, what we aren't doing is taking the steps that require courage, moving, taking the bold actions, which will make us feel vulnerable. So it's much, much easier to feel that self-doubt and indulge in that self-doubt. I do appreciate that the word indulge might bring up a lot of confronting feelings for you, but I'm using it intentionally. Like I want you to see, actually review for yourself, look back and think, how have I been playing into self-doubt and what have been the false benefits for me? And in the goal setting workshop that we just did this week, I coin it like this. I say mindset, then movement. They come together. They always come as a pair. Mindset first, movement second. We have to do the mindset work first of understanding the limiting beliefs that are causing the feeling of self-doubt. We have to acknowledge that, not not necessarily overcome it, yeah? But I'll acknowledge that self-doubt is going to be there and then move, which is where power planning comes in, is about creating movement in the general direction of our goals. So when we set unrealistic goals inside Thrive Together, it's not to say that the goal will not actualize into reality. It's simply to say that the goal is not set from your current worldview and therefore realistic, I'm doing the inverted commas again, realistic in terms of your limiting beliefs. If I use myself as an example, setting up my business and matching my income was to me an unrealistic goal. And this was because there was a huge part of me that doubted daily, <laughs> usually every minute, whether I could would be able to do it or not. Is the concept unrealistic? Absolutely not. 
I open my phone, I could look around and see within minutes that there are hundreds, thousands, millions of other people out there doing exactly the same thing, leaping into entrepreneurship, into owning a business and making it work. But self-doubt will have you thinking it's not for you. Self-doubt will grab you by the hand and take you back into comfort. It grabs your hand and leads you back into your safe zone. And while it's leading you there, it'll be babbling on, giving you all very compelling arguments and justifications why you should absolutely stay in your comfort zone. And that is where you will say, and you will be, you will be saying those words. You will be saying the words of, but I get pension, but I get this, but I get that. Until you get fed up of your own shit. And that, that's, <laughs> that is just the example of starting your own business, but you could apply that to anything. That's just my personal example. You can see, so back to it, in the quarter three goal setting workshop that we do, we do an exercise where we disprove any doubt that comes up. And this is such a vital part of the method because without this, it can feel out of reach. You know, you're setting this unrealistic goal and you're on this workshop with all of these other leaders and you're thinking, yeah, but I still don't really believe it. <laughs> I mean, it's not a very nice feeling. It, it can feel nice to, to be ambitious, but if you've got that, ne- that nagging um, voice at the back of your head going, yeah, but it's not really for you and you're not gonna really be able to do it and actually, are you good enough or will you be able to follow through? It takes for you to look at those fears at those what if thoughts dead in the eye and be able to sit with them. And to do this, I take the group through a journaling exercise where we exhaust all self-doubt, we, we go for it. We get everything that we can possibly think of as reasons why that's unrealistic or we're not gonna be able to achieve it or we're not good enough. Any thought of self-doubt or limiting beliefs around the goal that we've set, we get it all down onto paper and really feel how it feels to sit with that and at the same time let the self-doubt come in too and then once we've exhausted it once we've exhausted the self-doubt and the inner critic and all of the limiting belief chatter then we get to work on disproving that self-doubt and I want to be really clear here because this isn't me guiding you through the exercise I'm just sharing what we do but my objective with this exercise is not to take the group from full disbelief to full belief. That's not the objective here. It's not like they go from thinking, I absolutely cannot do this to, I 100% believe that I can do this without a shadow of doubt. It's an exercise in being open to an opposing thought. It's an exercise of expanding what could be true. It's that whole concept of taking yourself out of being defeated, feeling helpless before you've even begun to a space of feeling a little bit more empowered and taking action from there, which gives you evidence then. So what happens is if you take action from a place of what could be, you then you then make a tiny move. Even a tiny move will give you a tiny bit of evidence of, ooh, right, I can actually do this, which will then lead you into the next empowering thought. And then you act from there and you get a little bit more evidence that this could be for you. And then it goes on and on and on like that because that's how it works. There is a belief, then there is the thought, then there is the feeling, then there is the action. So if my belief is I'm not good enough, then the thought will be, um, what if I can't make this work? And then the feeling will be fear and doubt and Therefore, the action will be meek or the action will be inaction. But we can use that to our advantage. If it goes belief, thought, 
feeling action then we can actually assess that and make very intentional moves if we just look at the beliefs that we are holding to be true and then interjecting at that stage and what I'm not guiding my my own clients to do is to sit in inaction. What I am not guiding my own clients through, whether they're one-to-one or in Thrive Together, is taking meek little mousy steps. No, I want them to make bold moves from a place of feeling empowered, not a like meek little mousy moves from a place of fear and scarcity. That's not what we want. That's not how we want to roll. And one thing I will say is the feedback from the session was just glorious. After the sessions, um, sometimes what I will do is I will write to anyone who is in the live session with me and I will ask them directly for feedback. And some of the emails that have come back through, even since yesterday, are I've had real breakthrough moments. I've never looked at my self-doubt before. I've only ever really felt it unconsciously. Um, I totally understand now why I've never been able to make progress towards what I really want. I get it now. And all of these, like, I love this because it's brave. I love it because it's fucking brave. It's brave to sit and list all of your self-doubt and feel how vulnerable that feels and not indulge in it. It's brave to sit and let your fears stare you in the face and not run away from them. It's brave to feel the vulnerability that comes with acknowledging that actually some of your fears might even be valid. And what I mean by this is that some of your self-doubt will be coming from limiting beliefs and some of your self-doubt will be coming from a solid, a place of solid foundation. The fact that, yeah, if you want to achieve that goal, the reason that some of your self-doubt exists is because probably you might not be in a place where you can go after it yet. You might still have things to learn. You might have to accept that you might not yet be ready and you might have to grow and expand and learn new things. And this can feel very confronting because leaders typically, A, want to feel like they already know what they think they need to know and B, want to seem on the outside like they already know what they think they need to know. So when we're doing this exercise, working through that, at first, yeah, it can be really confronting, but then also it can feel very liberating to actually sit and logically follow a method that allows you to sift through what is self-doubt, unfounded self-doubt, and about my beliefs and what I'm holding to be true, and what is actually identifying the ways that I'll need to grow to meet my goal. I just love it. I love it. (laughs) I love it. The method's so effective. And having the privilege to sit and see people actually work through and have these breakthroughs is a bloody privilege. But on in this episode today, what I want to talk through is once we've set that goal, the fact is doubt will keep raising its head along the way. It does with me anyway. Like I, I feel self-doubt every single day. And I want to talk through how to deal with that self-doubt, not in necessarily in goal setting now, but on the pursuit to your goals. I know my Thrive Together members came off that call with a new worldview about what might be possible for them, a worldview of what could be. And I know that a skill that I've developed is getting people out of their current limited worldview and of what they think is possible for them and into a position where the fog is cleared and they can clearly see their potential and their actual capability, which is so much more expanded than they would first think or than, or than they would allow themselves to first think. 
But one of the things that I do know to be true is that this exercise is absolutely not a one-off. It's not a standalone exercise. It must be practiced. In fact, it is a practice. It's a practice because self-doubt is always gonna be there. It's an inevitable part of being a human. And I can hands on heart say I experience it daily. I feel it, I hear it. But the skill I have learned through practice that I commit to daily is not to be led by it. So I wanna share with you three techniques today, tips, techniques, whatever, that I personally use to realign myself when my self-doubt makes me feel inadequate or makes me question whether I'm good enough or capable or worthy enough. And if you're a Thrive Together member, please, please keep listening to this episode because these three tips I'm about to share will really support you along the way in July, August, and September as you go after your goals and in between the monthly goal check-ins that we have. So the first practice that I use to keep self-doubt at bay, and I say at bay, it still exists. It's just, I'm still able to make progress towards my goals. So anyway, the first practice, (laughs) oh, it's an episode today. (laughs) Get to the point. Will I edit this out? No, I will not because we are not editing heavily anymore. So get to it, Nick. The first practice that I use is called a training needs analysis. So I'm gonna refer to it as a TNA. If any of you have been or are in the learning and development industry, you will know exactly what I'm gonna bang on about. But if you're not, let me explain. You've probably heard me enough times now explain my background. I've got 15 years in learning and development. So I often forget how ingrained some of this stuff is in me. And one of the things that you'll hear when you're in L&D, learning and development, is how to do a TNA. You'll know how to do a TNA. It sounds fancy, it's not fancy. It's simply an assessment that you can run on yourself or others to assess where your development needs are. And actually, this is gonna help you twofold. If you're a leader yourself, setting big goals and feeling self-doubt, you can run a TNA on yourself and it can be helpful for the reasons I'm about to explain. But also this is a practice that you should be doing to help your team develop as well. Um, Just a side note. But it's simply an assessment, no fancy spreadsheet or processes or systems, nothing like that is required. It's just an analysis. Lots of L&D professionals do it differently, but here is my way. If you've got a pen and paper handy, divide your page into two columns and then three rows. So technically what you should end up with is six boxes. And then what you wanna do is you wanna really connect to your goal, really think about every aspect of your goal. And the first question that you wanna ask yourself is, what knowledge do I need to be able to achieve this thing? What knowledge, what do I need to know? And the answer to this question goes in the top left box. So just literally bullet point them. What knowledge do I need to be able to achieve this thing? What do I need to know? So that's in the top left box. And then the second thing that I'll ask myself is, what skills do I need to be able to do this? What skills? So a skill is something that you're able to do in comparison to knowledge, which is something you need to know. A skill is something that you're able to do. And then I bullet point them and they go in the second box down on the left hand side. And then lastly, I ask myself, what behaviors do I need to embody to be able to do this thing? So as an example, if the goal was to build a website, which includes tasks such as building HTML, 
then behaviors that I imagine that I would need include patience and being methodical. A behavior is how you are or how you need to be to achieve the thing. And the answers to that will go in the bottom left box. So basically what you'll end up with is a page with all three columns, all three rows on the left filled, filled in. And what you have identified there is the knowledge, skills and behaviours that you need in order to achieve that goal. And the TNA can begin from that point. So what I will then do is I will go, I'll go ahead at this point and I will self-assess and I make it really, really easy. I just give myself a red, amber or green against the knowledge, against the skill and against the behaviours. Red meaning I am incompetent. I haven't got a fucking clue what I'm doing. Amber is I can muddle my way through it, but I am still learning. And green will be like, I am fully competent. I am absolutely amazing at that thing. Now, when something isn't in your comfort zone, self-doubt normally screams, no, don't do it. This isn't for you. Don't go ahead. What doing a training needs analysis will do for you is it will actually get you to see factually whether or not you have room for growth and expansion in that particular area. And doesn't that sound like the way I've said that? Doesn't that sound bloody lovely? The way I've worded it, like growth and expansion. It feels like shit. <laughs> when you've got a goal and you haven't got certain pieces of knowledge or certain abilities, so certain skills to achieve that goal, it doesn't feel in that moment like, yay, there's room for expansion and growth. It feels like, no, like I really want that goal. And it's pissing me right off that I don't know the things that I need to know, or I'm not able to do the things I need to be able to do to achieve it. And that's why it feels like shit, because you want to achieve it, right? But you're being held back by the things that you don't yet know, the skills that you haven't yet developed and the behaviors that you're still yet to form. But without doing this training needs analysis, you don't know you're being held back. You just feel a self-doubt and probably call it imposter syndrome. And although it doesn't feel good to do a training needs analysis because you're pretty much identifying where you need to grow, it absolutely is good because now it means you're really clear on where, what what personal development efforts you will need to do make in order to go after your goal. Doing a training needs analysis will help you to see where your self-doubt or imposter syndrome is founded or unfounded. You know, where your feelings are actually very valid. You're feeling self-doubt because you've never done HTML code before. I don't know if that's the way you say it. By the way, I don't actually know what I'm talking about with HTML code. It's just the first example that came into my head. But what I'm saying is, if you've never done something before, then it's probably quite right that you're feeling self-doubt about it. And doing a training needs analysis by looking at the knowledge, skills, behaviours that you'll need will really, really help you to identify where you need to develop and where your personal development is catching up with your goal and where actually it's unfounded and you, you should actually feel more confident than you currently do. Okay, so... Training needs analysis goes back to that point I was making earlier around sometimes we feel self-doubt because we absolutely should be feeling self-doubt because actually the goal that we've got is stretching and it's stretching us into a place where maybe we've never done that thing before. So for instance, when I was recording my very first podcast, you go back, you listen to the very first podcast. It does not sound like this. 
it sounds scripted and I sound very different and that is because I was learning and it's very, it actually feels very vulnerable for me to leave that podcast episode live for the world to access (laughs) because in my opinion, it's not very good, but that's okay. There's probably still a lot of value in there and I was learning, right? And that's the thing about learning sometimes in business, especially you have to learn in public. Be okay with learning in public. The world's not going to end. The worst thing that's going to happen in that particular example is that someone comes along and says, I don't like episode number one. It was shit. And they never listen to any of your other episodes where actually by episode 33, I'd like to think that they've got a hell of a lot better. (laughs) But that person's never going to know that because they've tuned out after episode one. That is okay. That is okay. Be okay with it not being okay right? Acceptance. And that leads me nicely into tip number two, practice number two. I should not really call these tips in this episode because they're not tips. These are practices because these are actually things that I do and I practice. So practice number two is lines. You heard me right, lines, like as in in school, lines. This is the second thing that I do almost daily, mostly daily actually, is lines. By lines, all I'm basically saying is I pick a sentence or a statement or an affirmation, call it whatever you want to call it. I pick a statement and I write it until I have no more space left on the page. I just write it and I write it and I write it. And I do that practice daily. And I've got to be honest, it's hard. It's not as easy as you would first think to sit down, usually for 10 minutes and to write down the same sentence over and over and over again. And I know you're busy and I know you've got loads on, but I also know that you're listening to this episode because you've got goals that are meaningful to you and you want to try to reach them. And I also know that self-doubt is getting you pissed off and it's getting in your way. And so I am inviting you into my own practices to help you see that these things, they work. Now, Actually, this isn't my idea. What I'm going to share with you now, this whole concept of lines, it's not my idea. I actually first realized it when I read Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. And I'm going to read the section of the book where they talk about it. He's interviewing Scott Adams, who's the creator of the Dilbert comic strip. And it's at the bottom, for any of you who've got that book, it's at the bottom of 265. I'll link it in the show notes. But um, Scott Adams says... He says this, I'll tell you how I did it, but then I'll also tell you that I'm positive the exact method doesn't matter. I think it matters. I, sorry, I think what matters is the degree of focus and the commitment you have to that focus. Because the last affirmation I mentioned was primarily done in my head while driving, but continuously for years, about three years. At first, the way that I did it back in those times was I used a pencil or a pen and a piece of paper and I wrote the same sentence 15 times once a day, I think. Here's why I think it seems to work. There are several possibilities. One is something I learned a long time ago. I forget who coined it, but have you ever heard of the phrase called reticular activation? It's basically the idea that it's easy to hear your own name spoken in a crowd. You'll hear background noise, blah, 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 Tim Ferriss, blah, blah, blah. And you'll think, how did I hear that one thing in the whole bunch of crowd noise? 
Basically, your brain isn't capable of processing everything in its environment or even coming close. So the best it can do is set up these little filters and the way that the, and the way it sets these filters is by what you pay attention to. It's what you spend the most energy on and that's how you set your filter. So your filter is automatically set for your name because that's the thing that matters most to you. But you can use affirmations, presumably this is uh, just a hypothesis, to focus your mind and your memory on a very specific thing. And that will allow you to notice things in your environment that might have already been there. It's just that your filter was set to ignore and then you just tune in through this memory and repetition trick until it widens a little bit to allow some extra stuff in. And there is some science to back that, but I won't read on any further. It's an excellent book. I recommend it highly, Tools of Titans, Tim Ferriss. And I think, I've just been reading that out loud. I think I have mentioned this in a previous podcast episode, but the reason that I believe this works is something that Tara, Dr. Tara Swart talks about in The Source, another amazing book. And it's that whole concept of the reticular activation, the fact that when you are tuning into ideas, even if those ideas go against what your normal beliefs would have you believe, it's not really magic. It's not even that you're vibrating on the same frequency as these other ideas and concepts. It's quite simply that because it's at the forefront of your mind, you put yourself and you know in in you put yourself in different scenarios, but you also notice different things than you might not have previously noticed because your headspace was unconsciously in a different place. Okay? So what I personally find about this exercise is like I said before, it's hard. And I know that that sounds silly because it's just writing the same sentence for a page. So normally between 15 and 20 times, but this is really hard. It takes effort and focus to do something that is so repetitive and boring. But I tell you what, it's not easy. And I can also tell you that from my own personal experience, by the time I get to the end of that page, those words have really sunk in, like really deeply sunk in. There's something about putting pen to paper. I don't use my phone. I don't use I don't use a laptop and I don't say it out loud. The very fact that you can see it written in your own handwriting that belongs to you, there's something about that that makes it really click. And one thing that I will say is try and make this one of the first things you do in your day. If you're gonna practice this, I've personally found that it's the most effective before you let the world in. And before I leave this point and move on to my third and final practice, for those of you inside Thrive Together, I really want you to be taking note here. When you come to power planning on a Monday and you're with me and I ask you that question weekly, how can you best support yourself this week? This is the kind of very specific activity that I am wanting you to do. Too often, I see leaders say things like, I will be more compassionate to myself this week or I will support myself more. And I'm like, how? How will you do that? What action will you take? Because your go-to is obviously to do the opposite. That's why you're having the results that you're having at the moment. That's your norm. That's your unconscious go-to. So to be able to do that to be able to support yourself better, it has to be conscious. And that's what I love about the lines exercise. It's so conscious, it's so intentional. So 
my question to you is what will you do it doesn't have to be lines it could be anything but it must be something and on the topic of this podcast episode which is self-doubt versus your goals it's got to be something conscious not just an idea some vague concept that you won't get around to doing and the last practice practice number three is action the last practice is action like i said earlier mindset then movement to me there is nothing more affirming than giving myself the evidence that i can that i can do the thing that i thought i couldn't and there have been so many times where i've made moves and it hasn't gone to plan and it and i haven't got the response that i've wanted or I haven't got the outcome that I've wanted, but simply by making the move, simply by the action that I have taken, it has opened doors and opportunities and possibilities and expansion and growth that I wouldn't have been able to experience without having made that move. I always think of it like the mindset work is putting the details into the sat-nav, but the movement work is actually putting the keys in the ignition and pressing your foot down on that pedal. You've got it, they they go hand in hand. You're not going to move anywhere if you're not doing that work. And to be able to look back on my week and see that although that I felt fear, although I didn't feel motivated, I still showed up for myself. This is where trust is built and it's through taking action and showing yourself that, do you know what, I can do these things. That's where trust is built and self-trust is the foundation of making progress towards your goals, knowing that you can trust yourself to follow through. And the thing is on this, we are so often waiting to feel motivated, waiting to get it just right, waiting until you're having a good hair day. And my view now, especially since I've become more time disciplined and doing things when I said I was going to do them, is just get it fucking done. Like, like, so as an example, last episode, episode 32, if you've already listened to it, what you will know is in the background, there's my floors being renovated. There's the cat trapped in the office with me because the floors are being renovated. Every single part of me was like, don't put this episode out. There's too much background noise. It's detracting from the message. Blah, 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 blah. And I was going to leave it till that evening. And I actually, I think I say in the episode, but I can't leave it till this evening because I don't know what's going to go down. And do you know what? I'm going to be really honest. I'm really glad I didn't leave it till that evening because shit went down. Stuff's been going on with dad's dementia that has taken me and my sisters out of action, completely out of action and just uncontrollable stuff just happening in life and in business. And well, not necessarily in business, but just in life at the moment. And I'm not giving you that example. So you're like, oh my God, are you okay? Like everything's okay. Everything's under control now. But The reason I am giving you that example is because had I have left it, had I have not taken action because I wanted it to be just so, then that episode wouldn't have been released. And so many of you have contacted me to say, thank you for that episode, it's really helped. So yeah, like my view now, I I value so much more taking imperfect action rather than waiting to feel motivated, waiting for it to be just right. And that is why when I do my own power planning, when before the Monday call, when I do that on my own, when I am doing that and I'm planning my week out, I plan for the least motivated version of myself, for the for the most fearful version of myself. And 
this is why I ask you inside Thrive Together, if you remember, this is why I ask you the question weekly, what could come up this week for you that would hold you back? What could trip you up? Because in our heads, when we're planning, we want to feel like we will show up all week as the best version of ourselves and we want to feel like we won't get sideswiped by uncontrollable things that might happen but when fear is around or when you haven't had a great night's sleep or when you're behind on a deadline or you have an unexpected workload and you're stressed you can almost guarantee that you are not going to feel motivated and you are not going to feel compelled to sit and do the thing that requires courage or to sit and do the thing that requires discipline so plan plan for the minimum action that you'll take but then fucking take it. (laughs) I often hear the complaint, but that's too small. And I'm like, yeah, good, go smaller. Because it's with the small actions done regularly that compound over time. An easy way to think of this is like exercise. If you've got in your head, right, I'm gonna do these 90 minute exercise classes every single week and I'm gonna do them three times a week. And then Monday comes and you're like, I'll do it tomorrow. And then Tuesday comes and you're like, I'll do it tomorrow. Wednesday, do it tomorrow, do it you don't actually commit to these classes, it's likely you're just going to push it out and push it out. Or you can go smaller. You can say, no, actually, do you know what? I know I won't follow through. And instead, I'm, I'm just, instead of having this like lofty ambition and doing these three big classes every week, instead, I'm just going to go for a 20 minute walk every day at 10.30. It's going in my calendar you know, and then on top of that, if you feel like going for that 90 minute exercise class, what a bonus, but go smaller. Too often we say things like, but that won't make a difference. But when we go smaller, what you'll find over time is that that compounds and the, it amounts to more than you would have done if you'd have been going for the big hitting stuff, which puts you into a space of all or nothing. I need to go for it or it's not worth it. I need to go all in or it's not worth it. I need it to be extreme or I won't feel like I've done anything. I need it to be just right or it's not worth doing at all. But that's the thing with all or nothing. When it's nothing, it's nothing. (laughs) And when it's all, it's unsustainable. Do you even want either of those things? Like really sit and think about it. Do you even want either of those things? When you're achieving nothing, I can't imagine that you do. When you're achieving nothing, it feels like shit. And when you're doing it all, it's unsustainable. You feel boundaryless and burnt out. So plan smaller, scale back, do less more often and watch yourself make progress like you've never made it before. And the other thing that this does is it gives you the evidence that you can. Recently, I've been reading Profit First by Mike McAllowitz. I think I've said that right. I'll link it in the show notes. And I'm just at the end where he's discussing paying off debt. Now, I'm, I personally don't have debt, but I find it really interesting to hear his approach. Um, and the reason that I'm listening to it, even though I don't have debt, is because I always talk, don't I, about time, energy, money. I see them as very, very similar things. And so I always think, well, if there's tricks around money, you can always apply them to time and energy anyway. A lot of debt advice out there will have you paying off the debt with the highest interest rate first, but he advises a different approach. He says, get your smallest debt paid off first because in doing that, the human brain feels a sense of fulfillment and achievement, which then spurs you on to go for the next thing and the next thing. And I used to be, 
I, like this really hit home when I was reading this because I used to be a person that felt like they didn't need this sense of achievement to feel motivated. I used to, I, I suppose it's quite obnoxious really. I used to feel like I could find motivation on my own, like a very masculine driven energy, but I don't really subscribe to this anymore. Firstly, I value discipline over motivation these days. And secondly, I value what discipline brings. Discipline to do what you said you were gonna do it drives action and that action gives you evidence that yes, you can. And it's also surrender as well. Surrendering to what is and not fighting against your current reality. Anyway, to summarize, practice three, take action. Just show up more often than you don't. That's it. Just show up, take action more often than you don't. So there are my three practices to dealing with self-doubt on the way to achieving goals that are meaningful to you. Number one, get a training needs analysis done. Number two, get your lines done. And number three, take action. If you're a member of Thrive Together, I am creating a template training needs analysis that you will find inside the resources section within a week of this podcast episode going live. And also you can rest assured that I weave in everything that you hear in the inner work conversation into the ways that I guide you to self-reflect and to plan. But if you are not a Thrive Together member, I really, really hope this episode has helped you to be able to get out of your own way. If you are going after meaningful goals, self-doubt is inevitable. Take it as a sign that you are stretching your comfort zone. That is never, ever a bad thing. Fear and self-doubt go hand in hand with stretching meaningful goals. Fear and self-doubt will always be passengers on your journey and that's okay. The important thing is to allow them in the car, allow them to have a seat, absolutely not to give them the steering wheel. That's it for today, guys. I will see you in the next episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode today. And if you did, why don't you consider joining us inside Thrive Together? You can catch up on the quarter three goal setting replay alongside all the other content in there to support you with achieving goals that are meaningful to you, as well as accessing all the material, the live coaching, and so much more that really will help you thrive in life and in business. I'll leave the link in the show notes. Lastly, if you're not already subscribed to the Inner Work Conversation, hit subscribe so you don't miss another episode. And if you are, I will see you in the next one.